telephoned the police. Essentially, they did not appear to be doing any foul play. The police observed the passenger to the health department. They determined since there was no health threat, that he was called the sanitation department. When the passenger called the sanitation department, the manager of the sanitation department said, I can pick up that dead mule without, I cannot pick up that dead mule without authorization from the mayor. The passenger was not at all eager to call the mayor, who possessed a very bad temper and was always extremely unpleasant and hard to deal with. But eventually, the passenger called the mayor anyway. The mayor did not disappoint the passenger. The mayor immediately began to rant and rave. After he continued to rant and rant the passenger, the mayor finally said, What you call me anyway? Is it your job to bury the dead? The pastor paused for a brief prayer and asked the Lord to direct his response. The Lord led the pastor to the word he was preaching. The pastor said, Yes, Mayor, it is my job to bury the dead, but I always like to notify the next of kin first. Christian people, people that are saved. 
Then we started, after that, we came back to the, uh, to the, the tribulation time, the Antichrist, and so now we're coming through the end of the, of the we preached through the, the tribulation time. We actually did two sermons on it. But now we're coming to the place of the second coming of Jesus. That's a separate time. The rapture is when the church leaves us. That God deals with, with us in heaven, or he, he, uh, that He calls His church home. The tribulation, what's the part? The Bible calls it Jacob, the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, why is it Jacob's trouble? Because what God's trying to do in this time, it is a time of wrath, but it's a time that the Jewish people will turn to Christ and realize He was the Messiah. Because Jesus came into His own, and His own received Him not. But in that time, they're going to turn to Him, but how, uh, nobody, you, won't, you do not want to be here during that time. You absolutely do not. So turn with me, if you will, over to Matthew 24. And we're going to deal with the second coming, but mostly today what we're going to deal with, we're going to, lead, we're going to deal with those things that lead up to that second coming. That's what we're going to do. Look at what it says in starting with verse 29 of, of, Matthew, of Matthew 24. Um, now, I hope you bring your Bible. I, you know, I know everybody's got phones and all that stuff. We're just sometimes having a book in the hand. Immediately after the tribulation, notice this, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fail from fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with great sound and trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven and to the other. Father, I pray simply that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, for we are strength, we are redemption, we are everything, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence. Lord, this is a special Go up in heaven, but he's going to come back. He's going to return. Or in other words, he 
be back. I'll be back. People say, well, we don't know that. While we do not know the day and the time, we do know the season. And I believe with all my heart and soul that we're living in that season right now. That Christ could be here any, any time. So when you look at the events that are occurring in the future, the rapture, then for Christians, the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ, and, and while that was occurring in heaven, the next event here on earth is what's called the Day of the Lord. Now, you see, you and I are not living right now in the day of the Lord. We're living in what's called the day of man. Why is that? Because God's power, at one time, God's power in the Old Testament was he had his, his wrath was very active. You saw people going into the ground. You saw people, the flood coming, people being destroyed. You, you saw people, fire coming down and so forth because his wrath was active. What changed all that? Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God took his wrath and he poured his entire wrath that was meant for you and meant for me. He poured it absolutely, totally out on Jesus. And so now his wrath is passing right now. But the day is coming when the tribulation starts that his wrath is going to become active again. And you read through Revelation and you're going to find all kinds of things that he's going to do in that time. So while, while it's occurring in heaven, the, 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 the next event here on earth is what's called the day of the Lord are known as the seven-year tribulation period, the worst period in time of human history, where God will change His wrath from passive to active. But now the tribulation time will come to an end with the greatest event, the most epic, the most dramatic, the most inspiring event in human history will be the second coming of our Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13 is predominantly about the second coming of Jesus. Now, once again, I'm going to separate this thing. we got the, the rapture of the church where we're caught up to meet with Jesus, and when we're caught up, we'll meet Him in the air. But this time, the second coming, Jesus comes back and He touches this earth. Nothing that we have ever seen in real life or in films or movies or, or we can compete and compare with this epic event that's going to take place that, that we could be closer than we realize, and that's the second coming of Jesus. Now, you have to decide something this morning. And here's what I want you to decide, and, or maybe, and I hope and pray that you've already decided this. And that is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The Bible says this over in Romans 10, 9, if you're a Christian. It says simply that, 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 uh, that Christ has risen from the dead in 10, 9, that if we confess Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You've got to decide that now. Do you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? Because if you if you can't go along with that, if you can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to tell you something right now. You're going to have a hard time this morning with some of the things I'm going to tell you what's this to take place. But we need to come to that place. The stage is going to be set. And so, because it's, you know, and, and, and so the stage is going to be set for this event. There's something taking place which will be the preamble, the prerequisite for His return. There's some things that are going to be laid out for Jesus to come back. And this event that will set the stage for the return of Christ is this event you've heard about many times, and it's called the Battle of Armageddon. In other words, the Battle of Armageddon or World War III. Uh, there will be 
there will be a world war, which should not be a surprise. We've had World War One, World War Two. Then this will be World War Three, war that is called World War because all the scope of this, and it involves the major powers throughout this world. Now, have you noticed something here lately? I, 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 I like a good movie. I like a movie that makes me feel good and whatever else. And, and I can, you know, get, uh, like to laugh or something like that. But have you noticed how many doomsday movies are appearing now? That's all they want to talk about, that the earth is coming to an end, and we're going to annihilate one another. There's a, a group of uh, robots or something comes that just wants to kill humanity. Have you noticed about us? Why? Because there's a sense in the air that we're coming to a close. We're coming to an end. To understand this battle, Armageddon, that those things that will be led up to it, we need to understand that this will not be one battle, but several battles over the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So the tribulation is a seven-year period of the rapture. Now, what's he doing now? What's the, what's the, the church of God? What's the, because, listen, I've said this before and I'll say it again. God never goes back on his word. If God ever went back on His Word, I'm going to tell you simply that He wouldn't cease to be God. We're going to see that. Christians are raptured up to meet the Lord in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Now, I'll just mention that to you. But this is not the second coming. The earth continues on. Jesus doesn't come in earth, in earth into rapture. If, if Jesus doesn't come to earth into rapture, we'll meet Him in the air. Then there will be seven years of tribulation known as the 70th week in Daniel 9, 24, 27. Now watch this. Let me read this to you. Daniel 9, 24, 27. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So he's telling us that everything is, is, is basically for 70 weeks. To finish the transgression, to make the end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring to everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions of prosperity and to anoint the most holy. So all these things are going to take place. Now listen to what it says in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, here we go, when, when did this start? When did the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, until Messiah the Prince. Now, what's he saying? The command that came forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, when did that take place? Uh, the Bible says Xerxes, Nehemiah, it says, in the 20th year of Xerxes, Xerxes started, uh, history teaches that he was in 465 B.C., so in the 20th year, that would take it down to 445 B.C., Xerxes, Nehemiah, and the wall was finished after, after that seven first years, seven, or the seven years in the tribulation was finished, or not, the seven years. Know therefore and understand from the going forth command to restore Bill Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks, seven weeks, and then from the time the wall was finished, 62 weeks. Now, what happens at the end of that 62 weeks? The street shall be built again in the wall, even to troublesome time. And after, here we go, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does that mean? It means the Messiah will be crucified. Jesus took place, what, at uh, A.D. 33, probably, that's what we try to say, whatever, whether that's the right view or not. But Jesus died on the cross, shall be cut off. But not for himself, it says. Why? He died for you. He died for you. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. When did the city get destroyed? When did the sanctuary? 70 AD. Now, that, 
just shows me that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, if the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and Jesus the Messiah would be cut off, that shows me that Jesus is who He says He is and we need to pay attention to what He says He is. Amen? Now we go on. And so, uh, then there shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again while any troublesome time. And after 62 weeks, my side shall be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince who shall come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood and the end of the war, desolation, desolation and determined. Then he says in verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many who one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring it to an end of the sacrifice and offering and to the wing of abomination shall one who desired desolate, even unto the consummation which is determined poured out on desolate. Here's what I'm trying to say. It will begin with an agreement that the, the tribulation will begin with an agreement. This is the one where shall, that he shall confirm a covenant. How do we know people are always on friends? Well, you think he's the antichrist? Is this person the antichrist or that person? No. Can show you. Why is it, how do we know he hasn't just, because just right here he says to confirm a covenant. In other words, this man's going to come on the scene. We think he's going to come out of possibly the European Union. He is going to work a treaty out that would bring the whole world of peace to Israel for the first time. Think about how many presidents we've had that have tried to have that peace treaty in the Middle East and they haven't done it. This guy's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to work this whole peace treaty out, and the world is going to stand back in awe and say, man, what a guy, what a guy. So he'll come on that time. But this man is the son of Satan. He is the Antichrist, and he will come out of the European Union. And it's because of it, Daniel says in chapter 4 and also chapter 7, verse 16 through 27. We don't have time to go there. The Antichrist will be over, he will be over a kinto. Uh, the Bible talks about the European Union being ten kingdoms. Well, now we know that the European Union has more than 26 different countries with it. So we think, Bobby, what's going to happen is it will be ten regions as a result of that. So the Roman Empire would split up with the Europe and today and have the European Union. You read Daniel, it talks about ten cults, ten kingdoms. When he does this, something is going to occur because he's going to become so such a big figure, he's going to be like Hitler. Hitler said, today Europe and tomorrow the world. That's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. He will head up Europe, but he's going after world domination so that the Antichrist will be seeking world domination. What he really want to be? He wants to be God. That's what he always So the scripture says that in order to resist world domination, there are going to be nations that will come up against him. There are going to be those nations that say, we don't want to be under that antichrist, and they're going to come against him. Look what it says over in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 through 45. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. Now, who's the king of the south? The king of the south is Egypt with all the, the Islamic power federations that come against him. So at that time, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north, who's the king of the north? You take a straight line from Jerusalem all the way to Moscow, the king of the north, is, or who, who we know it is, we know it's Russia. Shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter the country, overwhelm them, and pass through. And he shall also enter the glorious land. What's the glorious land? Israel. Uh, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, from Edom, Moab, and prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold, silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east 
each each time. But the instrument east and the north shall trouble him, therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Verse 45. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains, yet he shall come to his end and no one shall help him. So the Antichrist comes on the scene. And he appears to be a peacemaker. The world's going to follow him. They're going to believe that's who he is. But that's a, that one's going to be a lie. The king of the north, Russia, the communist bloc, sees this guy, and after the whole world doesn't accept that, he comes along with the king of the south, which is Egypt, but all in the Islamic countries, and they will come against the Antichrist, so it should not be a surprise. Now, uh, you know, and Russia is already, and think about this, where's Russia today? They're already in Syria. What are, they, what are they doing? They're getting ready for this very thing. Now, do they know they're getting ready? No, but they're getting ready. Russia, the nation, when it was in the Soviet Union, looked like it was falling apart, but overnight has risen and become a forcible power in the Middle East. The Antichrist will position himself to be God to the king of the north and the king of the south will come up against him. But notice what verse 45 says. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains, yet he shall come to his end and no wind will help him. The glorious land, that's Israel, he will position himself in Israel, which will be the centerpiece of all this as they come against him. Now, stay with me here just a minute. I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff. But I want you to see what God says to do. The Antichrist will defeat the king of the north and the king of the south, verse 44, and lead what the king, and as a result of that, the king of the east or the orient, China, when he sees the Antichrist has defeated the king of the north and the king of the south, he doesn't want the Antichrist ruling over him, so he will invade the Antichrist too. Now, listen to what it says in Revelation 16, 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl of great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east may be prepared. Verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, and go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them in the battle of the great of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments in which he walk naked, and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called the Hebrews on the gate. Revelation 16, 13, 16 tells us about Armageddon. It's in the plain of Megiddo. I've been there. I've stood on the Mount of Car- Mount Carmel and looked down through that plain. At one time, you can look down there, and if you can pick it up on YouTube sometimes, you'll see planes that will land way off in the distance land. And all of a sudden, they'll see them. Israel has an air base there that when the, the, the atmosphere literally opens up and those planes go underground there. It was Napoleon. Napoleon, who said simply that that Megiddo is the most natural battlefield on earth, and the whole world, the whole all the different forces of the world are going to meet there one of these days. One of these days. Now, so Satan, the Antichrist, lured the nations to the mountain of Megiddo Valley, and the nations are coming to fight against the Antichrist. But according to Revelation 16, verse 16, this one says. And they gathered them together to the place that is called the Hebrews on the gate. And all these nations are being lured to that valley of Megiddo. And so you have all these nations, then you have Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet, but something else has happened. Listen to what it says over in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. It says this, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem, to the cities, 
shall be taken. The house is rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go in captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. They shall not be cut off from the city. Look what it says in verse 2. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And fight against those nations. Did you hear that? Let me read it again, verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. But he fights against those nations. Uh-oh. we got another player in there. Look what it says. we got nations coming against the Antichrist. we got Satan drawing the nations to the Antichrist. we got Satan giving the Antichrist power. But now we got God the Father bringing the nations to the Antichrist all in one area in that Megiddo Valley to Israel. So you've got all this happening at one time. Men making decisions. Satan leading the decisions. And God influencing that decision. You know what that tells me? It tells me that, all, that even when the devil is doing his thing, uh, he's doing his thing at the behest of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? In other words, so the devil is never just the devil. Let me tell you something who the devil is. The devil is God's devil. Amen? And, and so I'm saying because when the devil is being devilish, he is fulfilling the plans of God even though he may not know it. So the devil is being allowed to be evil as he is in order to fulfill what God wants done. God's bringing all this together. The devil thinks Antichrist, they all think that they're doing it. No, it's not. God's bringing all this together. So when the devil is messing with you, understand that it's why the Scripture says the greater is he that he is the devil. That's what he says. So when the devil is being devilish, it's an opportunity for the Lord to show you how he can fulfill his will in your life. So you've got all the nations converging in the Middle East with the centerpiece in Jerusalem. The devil and the Antichrist and the false prophets have, super, have supernatural power. The devil has a plan. You see, he's got to destroy it. He's got to destroy it. And why does the devil have to destroy it? He must destroy it. Because the only hope the devil has over God is making God's promises not come true. What do you mean? God created Israel to be the depository of His written word, whether we like it or not. Now, I know Jesus came into His own, His own was given enough. And I know that the greater percentage of the people in Israel right now do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I just know that. My Father had to do what He wanted. And He's got a plan. And that plan is that He's going to bring them, the Bible says in the 11th chapter of the book that all Israel will be saved. There's going to come a time that they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to realize who He is. And Israel's going to look at Him and they're going to say to Jesus, where did those marks come on your hand? And He said, I got these in the house of my friend. That's what He said. So I believe this is coming. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations and He fights in the day in the day of battle. So He created Israel to be a depository. Why? First for His Word because they were given the law, they were given the word. And, and Paul, even in the book of Romans, talks about what an advantage because they were given the word. But then they are also given the living word. God created Israel to be the depository, the written word and the living word. The word of God written would come through Israel and Christ would come through Israel. So the devil, in addition to wanting worldwide domination, brings everyone to the Middle East with the goal of doing one thing, destroying Israel. Why does he want to do that, though? Because if he can destroy Israel, Christ can't come back. Because the promise of God was that Christ would only come back when Israel would accept him as their Messiah. That they will, that they, they, they will, and they will. So 
so Satan wants to destroy Israel so that Israel can't come back proving God to be a liar. And once God is proven to be a liar, then Satan has the victory over God, no longer has integrity as God. It's like, you know, it's like the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. That you talk to me, it tells us in verse 2, says in, the, in verse 1, it says, in, in, in the last days, in the early parts, he spoke to by the prophets. But he said, in these days, he spoke to his son. Then you come to verse 3, what does he say? He upholds all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? Listen, if God were ever to go back on his word, Jesus' word would lie to you, say something, whatever, everything you see around you would implode. This is why Jesus says, heaven and earth can pass away, but my word will never pass away. Everything is built upon the word of Jesus. What he says. Now, so Satan wants to destroy Israel. So you have in chapter 12 of Revelation, and in verse 13, look what it says. And when the dragon, that the devil disguised saw that he had been cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, which is Israel. Who gave birth to the male child, which is Jesus. Now, so which is that the strategy to destroy Israel? Why is why we got anti Semitism? Why did everything happen? People hate Israel. Why is it? Why the Jews have been through what they've been through? One reason. If you read the book of Hosea, Hosea has three children. Lomai, Lomai, and what's the other one? I can't remember what his name is. I know that's that's the one I know his name. God uses Hosea to show to us what He's going to do through Israel. He says, "You're not my people." He says, you're, I, I, "I'm going to—I have no mercy on you." You wonder what happened to Israel during the Holocaust? I have no mercy on you. Uh, and then He also says, "I'm going to scatter you." All those things have happened as a, as a, a, a as a prophecy in Hosea to Israel has happened. All those things. So then, Israel, the child Jesus Christ. Listen to what He says in verse 15 trying to destroy Israel. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. This is why you keep hearing those people who hate Israel and don't want Israel to exist. They want to drive them from the Mediterranean. And so it's being, being done to get rid of Israel. Listen to what Psalm 83, 4 says. It says, and they said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. What happens to those Jews over there to Israel if they don't come to Jesus? They're lost there. They go to hell. But you see, God, the Bible says God's long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He loves those people. Paul even one time said, If I had my wish, I would die, being willing to die, that they might come to the place where they would understand. But right now, there's a veil over their face, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says, But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If they turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. But the day of the tribulation is going to happen. And when it does, the veil will be taken away. And they'll look and they'll see him who they bruised and did. And they'll realize that he is the Messiah. It's all being done. And Satan has so inspired those nations to get rid of Israel to nullify the promises of God. That's the theological reason for the Middle East. Satan is hell-bent on getting rid of Israel because he has to get rid of the child that Israel gave birth to, Jesus Christ. But he can't defeat Jesus directly, so he has to defeat him by the promises of God. This is why the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he comes to you, but he comes to you as the accuser of the brethren. He can't accuse Jesus, he accuses you. He comes to history in your ears to tell you all the things. It's a 
I really believe when the Apostle Paul, one time the Apostle Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on. You know why he said that? Because every time he got on his knees, the devil came up to him and said, don't you remember what you did back then? Don't you remember how you helped to kill Stephen? Don't you remember? He'll do the very same thing with you. He tries to get you to go back to your past and all the things that you did wrong. The Bible says, what profit have we got in those things which we're ashamed of? Don't go back there. You're dead to your past. Listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's gone. He separated those things from you as far as the east is from the west. You've been forgiven, and it's gone. He sold them into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered anymore. But there's another feature. Daniel 9, verse 27. It says, Then they shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offer on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes devil even until the consummation and determined to pour out devil. See, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to come to this treaty and blow the whole world. He's going to do miracles and things like this, which I think is such a puppet. But, but he does all this stuff and, and when he does, boy, the whole world's going to be in this day and stuff. He brings peace and everything else and everybody's going to think he's the greatest thing since Christ came. Then right in the middle of the thing happens. Talking the lights 
start to dim. The orchestra is no longer tuning up, and they begin to quietly play. And the show is about to start, and all the eyes are either looking at the stage or the screen. Why? Because it's showtime. It's showtime. It's time, or in, in, in more dignified ways, it's time to get ready to rumble. You know why? Because my Lord is coming. All these people that think they're going to get away with all this stuff, oh, no, you're not. My Lord is coming. And He's going to come down, and, man, every eye will see Him. That's what it says. They're not going to see Him at the right, but every eye in the second coming is going to see Him. And when I read Matthew 24, verse 29, listen again. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not... Be, uh, be given its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then will the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end to the other. Man, everything is going to start getting dark. The nations have gathered in the Middle East. Then it says in verse 30, Then the Son of Man will appear. Revelation 1.7 7 says, And every eye will see Him. And when He comes, you know, when Jesus comes, I don't think He comes, you know, takes His foot on the Mount of Olives. I don't think that's going to happen. I think when my Lord comes, He's going to maybe take a couple of weeks around the church. I think he's going to take a couple of weeks around the country. I think maybe, I mean, you know, it says every eye will see him. Now, if you've got a smartphone, I guess you could say, you might pick him up on the phone. Or but I think when he comes, he's just going to stand around the world. The earth rotates, here comes Jesus. And everybody's looking. You know? And the Bible tells us what it says over in Revelation. It says the, the kings of the earth and, and all the wise men and the great men all hid themselves from him. Jesus, I shall see. When He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. So when He comes, maybe He'll take a couple loose. Maybe maybe in 24 hours He will ascend slowly so that every eye missed on Him. Our, our technology will advance so the people all over the world can watch on their own smartphones. Because this will be a worldwide event and God displays His Son. And when He finally sets down His foot on the earth, the Bible says over in Zechariah chapter 14, listen to this, verse 4, it says, And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half that mountain shall move towards the north, and the other half to the south. Now listen to this. Remember what we read? For they will gather nations to battle against Jerusalem, Zechariah 14, 2, and the city shall be taken, the house rival, and the women ravaged, half the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant, God's people, well, the people shall not be cut off from the city because they've come to Jesus. This is what it says in Zechariah 14, 5. Then you shall flee through the mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, king of Judah, that the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now, and here's what he's going to, when Jesus puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, and by the way, when we were in Jerusalem, we had a, uh, we had a Messianic Jew that was with us, that, uh, and, and I asked him one time, I said, listen, all my life I've heard that there's a trap in that 
that it, it is it to be obtained could not be gained or obtained by work. But he came to a place he realized that it had, it had to be accepted by God giving and declaring the righteousness He wants to give to you if you'll accept it. That's the problem. You have people that don't want to accept it. Because God's given you your righteousness if you will come to Him and accept it. And when that righteousness moves in, something really takes place in the heart. Thanks for talking about it. Which of you accepted it? There's a great verse, there's a second verse in Scripture about that story of the disciples over in Romans, chapter 10, starting verse 2. Paul is talking about the Jewish people. They rejected Jesus. They looked like this. So I bear them witness. They have a deal with God. Boy, there's a lot of people that are religious. There's a lot of people that really have a deal with God. They do all kinds of religious things. Now, they don't drink, smoke, and feed old girls and food. They don't do any of that kind of stuff. They, you know, all this kind of stuff. They do. But, you know, really religious. You know, boy, we, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. And they never tell you what they do, 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 do. So they don't. For I bear them witness that they have a deal for God. But listen to this. God's ways are not man's ways. It's not God's ways. And he goes on to say this, verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Is that what we're doing? Are we seeking to establish our own righteousness that we might go and say, Well, I do this, I do this, do whatever, you know, I do all this kind of stuff, whatever. Is that God's righteousness? That's what you've got to determine. Seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4, For Christ, is the end of the law, the righteousness to everyone who believes. He's found it by the Ten Commandments. But the Bible says also over in the book of Romans that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Why is that? Well, people say, well, you don't, you tell us not to keep the Ten Commandments. No way, Jesus said that. I'm not going to say that. But I'm going to say it's impossibility to do that today. But here's what I am going to say God's given you some grace. And the Holy Spirit must go in the Ten Commandments. What is it? by the Word of God that you can live this thing. The only way you can live the Christian life, I've had to realize that, is coming to a place that I submit to Him day by day, moment by moment. I'm saved by grace, but I'm also kept by grace. Amen? So, so, so the man who does those things shall live by them. The Bible says, when the grace of God makes it clear that all men ceases to deny ungodly grace. God wants to do something inside you where you want to do it. You have a desire to do it. Amen? That's the difference. Well, I've got a headache. 